0: Yeah. It is Thursday, April fifteenth, here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Draft Sharks Podcast. I'm your host Matt Shalf, and joining me tonight is a guest to talk some best ball drafting. He is a writer for both Roto Baller and Roto Viz. He will be launching his own show soon, Roster Locked, a best ball show. That's coming this weekend. He is at ZK underscore FFB on Twitter. In real life, he is Zach Kruger. Zach, thanks very much for joining me tonight.
1: What's going on, man? How's it going? Pretty well. I mean, we're here talking fantasy football. How much better could it be going? It's a great way to spend a Thursday night. Uh, And I took a personal day for Friday for MLB The Show coming out tomorrow. So that's my little uh, plug for that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's, it's a great night. A lot of things to look forward to this weekend.
0: Yeah, we might be grownups, but you don't want to grow all the way up too fast.
1: No, no, I'm very, I'm very proud to come home today and tell my wife I took a personal day for a video game on Friday while, uh, <laughs> while while she works. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I've been waiting for this day for a long time, so we're, we're gonna take it on stride. But we got fantasy to get to first. So I appreciate you having me on.
0: Hey, yeah, and if you're watching us tonight or listening to this afterward, you might have already started following Zach on Twitter as FFTroglodyte. Zach, does the change in your name on there? Mean that you have moved out of your cave and you now walk among the people.
1: Yeah, they've recently let me out into society. They've allowed me to uh, purchase into a home to live amongst people. Um, I've been very thankful to uh, you know graduate to this society. I'm using money now, using currency. Shave. Uh Yeah, I shaved. Apparently, shaving cream makes it a little bit easier, not as painful. But I'll, I'll try. I'll try that the second time around. That's but uh, but yeah, yeah. No, uh, just. Switching up a little bit, trying to make my hand a little bit easy. Troglodyte's a difficult word to spell.
0: <laughs> That's right. <And laughs> you never know. The, the market that you're in, you, I'm sure there's a large chunk of people who are like, what the hell is a Troglodyte, and why do I want to listen to something that lives under a rock?
1: Yeah, they didn't know. I've, I've been <laughs> asked that a couple different times. Um, you may actually be familiar because you like the Eagles. Are you familiar with the Preston and Steve radio show?
0: Uh, not, not much, No
1: you you're aware of them though. So, right. uh, so, so one of the guys on there, uh, Steve Morrison, he's, I guess like the comical relief of the show. Uh, at one point in time, he had referenced somebody as a, he used the words knuckle dragging troglodyte and I had <laughs> never heard that word before. And I was like, that's kind of a wild word. So I, I looked it up, saw what it was at the time I was trying to really just get on fantasy Twitter. And some people, you know, have like their regular names. Some people have a little something goofy. So I went with that. I enjoyed it for a few years. Now I'm trying to, uh, take the more professional approach, I guess, with the initials in it. But um, yeah, it was fun while it lasted up until a few hours ago when I changed it finally. (laughs) There
0: you go. Now the fun stops. Now it's all business. Yeah, it's
1: business now.
0: Zach's best ball drafting takes will not get out of my Twitter feed lately. And really, that's why I wanted to bring you on and talk to you about some of the trends that we've seen so far in best ball drafting, primarily on FFPC, best ball 10s drafting, We're going to look at some favorite values. We're going to look at some movers. We're going to talk some drafting strategy for both formats. Um, First, though, Zach, how long have you been playing fantasy in general and best ball in particular?
1: Fantasy in general, uh, it's actually funny. I look back at it because I first started on Yahoo and like even for my home leagues now, I still do on Yahoo. One time Mm -hmm. I wanted to get like a couple of buddies of mine, like 2007 to try a Yahoo league. I was like, yeah, like I'll set it up like it'll be so cool. I'm basically the only one that I'd even drafted a team. I actually forgot about it, and then they never did anything. So that's definitely not when it started. Um, but it, it was when it first like crossed my mind. 2008, 2009, maybe a couple years after I attempted to do it, someone else actually had a real league that they let me in. And then 2016 is when I kind of started to take it more seriously. But since about 2008 or 2009, I've been playing at least one league every year and then slowly building on that. Best ball, I really started to kind of hammer it out. Last spring, um, right at the start of draft season, I did mostly best ball 10s last year. Um, and this year, I'm kind of trying to dive into a nice mixture of FFPC best ball 10s and underdog. But being on rotoviz being able to use a lot of their best ball tools is, makes it really easy to get sucked in because there's just so many ways that you can try to find an edge with what they have. And their tools are just awesome. So um, it, it makes it fun. You just want to keep on drafting.
0: And now that we're all like six years or so into this whole best ball drive and, you know, we get more outlets offering games every year, it's it's, it's weird to be in the spot now and be like, why didn't we play this format earlier? Like, Where was this before it arrived? Why didn't anybody think of it before those MFL 10s? Because, I mean, it's such a... I, fantasy football, the thing about it that makes it so big in the first place is how easy it is to get into, how easy it is to stick with throughout the year. It's not baseball. You play once a week. And then you take the needing to set your lineup out of it, and you can just draft teams, which is which is everybody's favorite part anyway. And then, you know, you can do it as many times as you want. I, I don't know why we haven't been doing this all along.
1: Yeah, it seems like such like a easy I I mean, conceptually, you know, it is easy on the surface. Obviously, roster construction is a whole other beast but even some of my friends who are like more casual fantasy players i tell them about best ball they don't know about it and i'm like oh yeah like you just kind of draft your team you forget about it and they the, it's kind of mind-blowing to them that they almost don't even have to play fantasy football to play fantasy football you draft it for a couple hours and you're done but i'm like yeah like you guys should kind of check it out i think i would still like to do a format and i will one day where i can where i can add and drop players but keep the best ball scoring format because i think that would be a little bit more fun um, but yeah, removing the stress of having to set your lineup and constantly get burnt by like that one, or, there's one or two bad decisions that you made. Like, I'd rather just make all my bad decisions on draft day than 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 every week. You know what I mean? So, yeah. not having to go through the weekly struggle of having a bad decision or two is definitely nice. I really like the best ball scoring format, and I want more people to play.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of replaced the off-season mock drafting for now. Um, You know, instead of doing these mock drafts where we're all kind of trying things, everybody's drafting actual teams. I think it gives us better ADP and it certainly gives us ADP from starting much earlier in the year. And that's, you know, kind of the basis for what we're focusing on tonight. We're going to go position by position, look at some ADPs, look at some values, talk about guys we like or don't like. Let's start with QB and jump right into it. And first off, Last year's high scoring at the QB position overall has the top of the position pushed up higher than usual. Uh, And, you know, everybody else is kind of following them up after that. Eight quarterbacks inside the first five rounds of FFPC best ball drafts now. Not quite as high in best ball tens. The top eight are spread through round seven. Zach, how much are you gravitating toward getting one of those top eight or, you know, top five, top six, if it's a different group for you? How much do you care about getting one of those guys or do you not care so much?
1: So it definitely kind of depends. And I will say that when it does come to some of the Rotovis theories with how to build teams, I I really do try to stick to them, um, mainly because they're their suggestions and they're things put up by people who have been doing this a little bit longer than I am. So I assume that because they've been doing it longer than me and they've won that way, I should probably at least somewhat follow suit with that. One of the things that they talk about, um, Sean Siegel in particular, is kind of focusing more on getting your quarterback, the first quarterback, not before round six. And then by the time you leave round 12, it's probably when you want to have An FFPC, probably your third quarterback to really optimize win rates. So I do play around with the roster construction explorers at Rotoviz. I kind of keep these lessons learned in the back of my head when drafting. And obviously, I'll take anybody who falls to me. But I'm really not looking at any quarterback prior to round six, unless it's like a guy who I really like, or I just think that maybe I'm trying to stack a team. So I, I, I sneak a Lamar Jackson in there with the Mark Andrews, who I took in the third or fourth round or something like that. But usually, I try to at least follow some of the rules that have been laid out and Proven win rates um, with some of that stuff. So I'll take them if they fall to me, but I've I've been getting more like the Russell Wilson's, the Jalen Hurts, the Matthew Stafford's. If I'm taking an early quarterback, that's probably about as early as I'm going for my QB1.
0: Yeah, that's right in the range where I start looking as well. I do use the, the top group as kind of a fallback, though. Like if I am sitting at the end of round three and I really don't like what's there, maybe early round four, Patrick Mahomes, I'll take a share of him. Round five, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson. In play, I would rather not have to go to one of those quarterbacks at that point. But, you know, again, if I'm just staring at things that I I don't like and I I don't I don't like where the team's going to go, if I take that player, uh, then I'm okay with getting some of those guys. That's the other thing about playing best ball is, you know, the whole shares concept. It's not like you're treating every team like the team, but you're building a portfolio In most cases, you don't want to be completely out of a certain guy. It's a matter of getting less exposure to somebody or even a type of player that you don't like as much.
1: Yeah, and and that's hard to do. And I would say that last year is really, like I said, the year I really tried to hammer best balls. And, And looking back on it, I think that's one of the things where I think I misappropriated, I guess would be the word, my portfolio a little bit. I think I could definitely look back at my portfolio and see I got way too high on certain guys. Or I thought that like a certain pick was just like so sharp, so I kept on making it. And then it ended up not working out. And I, I look bad for it. My team suffer. Um, but really really trying, like you said, have a good balance of your portfolio. Realizing that if you do enough of these things, you can have a little bit of everything while still enjoying your guys, maybe at a slightly higher percentage, but really trying to balance it out. So getting the early guys is still fun. It's still cool. You get to say you have Lamar Jackson. Why Them every week, but when I'm keeping win rates in mind, I'm 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 probably doing like like what you said, looking more around the six, seven, eight round range for that first QB one.
0: And certainly, as you said, in that range, if I already have, you know, Amari Cooper. And I don't have mm-hmm. somebody else I'm going after. Dak Prescott gets a little more attractive or DeAndre Hopkins with Kyler Murray. So those can be tiebreakers as opposed to maybe a stack that I'm chasing in that range.
1: Yeah, one th- one stack that I'll, that I'll say I'm chasing, I, I feel like it's almost like chasing a unicorn. I'm not even convinced it's going to happen. But I, I'm waiting for the day when I log on the FFPC and I'm picking at the back of a draft and I watch Travis Kelsey fall to me. And I get Tyree Kill at the turn, and then I just, I just go gangbusters at that point. And with my third pick, if Patrick Mahomes makes it back to me, I'm going Chiefs triple stack right out the gate. It hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm not sure that it will, but every draft when I'm like reaching that like ten round ra- or that ten pick range, and I see that Kelsey's there, and I realize so is Tyree Kill, I'm like low key saying a prayer that maybe this is the time where I get to bull- do a full Chief stack because I will break all rules for that for sure.
0: Uh, if you are in an FFPC draft and you see Travis Kelsey lasting until twelve, be- then you need to have your wife call nine one one because you probably fell and suffered a head injury because it, it's not happening at this point.
1: Yeah, he makes it to seven <laughs> is the latest he's been taken. <laughs> he's like, so man. I, I realize really it's probably more so banking on a late Tyree kill than it is than it is Travis Kelsey, which is possible. Tyree kill, I'm looking at now. He, he the latest he's gone is eighteenth, so I could get seven eight. Um or I could get Kelsey, you know, mid round and maybe Tyree Hill on the on the bring back. Um, and then you're just clutching the rosary bees waiting for Patrick Mahomes in the third, and you really you're now you're cooking with something.
0: I just meal. beyond those guys, those top quarterbacks that we don't want to take, who have been your favorite targets? You might have already named one or two of them in the group that you mentioned before, but who are your favorite targets once you are a looking quarterback?
1: Yeah, I mean, Matthew Stafford is kind of one of those guys who I um, I really like the situation that he's in with Sean McVay. I think it is important to remember that just a few years ago, we actually did see Jared Goff look good in the offense. And I don't think anyone at any point in time is confusing Jared Goff for being better than Matthew Stafford. So even that one Goff flash in the pan kind of gives me some faith that Matthew Stafford can can perhaps you know have a really nice season or two with the Rams and Sean McVay in the offense. Jared Goff in 2018 he was actually a QB nine and PPR per game with 22.9 points. He threw for almost 40, or over 4,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Cooper Cup, super solid wide receiver along with Robert Woods. And even Cam Akers uh, really started to come into his own. Uh, During the final six weeks of the season, Cam Akers uh, averaged 14.4 PPR per game and 21.2 opportunities a game. And on top of that, he carried that success over into the playoffs for not one, but two games. So I really liked how that offense is looking. And the other guy I'm chasing is Jameis Winston, just because I think that the second he is named the... QB1 for the Saints, I think his ADP will skyrocket past the QB23 that he's looking at right now. I just, I can't fathom Jameis Winston actually being outside the top 20 if we know that he's a starter for the Saints in week one.
0: Yeah, and I didn't like him early on because I thought that the money pointed to Taysom Hill being the guy. But once the Saints did actually re-sign Jameis Winston, I have a tough time imagining him not not having gotten word that it's probably his job. I know that they're going to compete, but... You got to think that he came back because he thinks he has a pretty good uh, chance of winning that starting gig.
1: Yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, I know Jameis Winston had in 2019, 33 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Like that's like easily at this point, the most talked about thing in his in his career. But the guy was a number one overall pick. He's uh, productive quarterback even if we a fantasy productive quarterback at least even if we don't necessarily like the way he gets there um and his last season as a starter he was a qb8 in points per game um he led the league in air yards so you know he he gives you some of the things that we like to see in fantasy even with the turnovers like what's he doing if he's not throwing 30 interceptions like he might be looking at one of the best fantasy quarterback seasons you know that we've seen close to ever so
0: And, and now his eyes work too
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, he goes to the Saints and gets this this eye surgery. Like, what what would have happened if maybe you considered doing that? I don't know. Like year one or two of your career instead of year four or five. I kind of want to see what Jameis Winston looks like when he can see, and I'm sure he'd like to see what he looks like too now that he can.
0: Maybe he can go back sometime and see what OJ Howard looks like now.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, my my kind of favorite range for
0: starting to look at quarterback, and I'll take one or two of these guys: Tom Brady. Trevor Lawrence, Matt Ryan, all kind of in that range, You're a couple other guys mixed in. But Tom Brady, QB 12 on FFPC, QB 11 on BB10s, round 8-9 target on either of those sites. Only Josh Allen last year posted more weeks of 35-plus fantasy points than Tom Brady did. Brady tied Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, in that category. And I think there's even a bonus if I've already gotten Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, who are both going at decent value spots, both in round four. Um, but we'll talk about wide receivers in, in a minute. Trevor Lawrence, I think there's clear top 12 upside with his rushing ability. I think he's probably headed toward a high-volume passing offense because I don't think the Jaguars will be a ton better. So I think he'll throw the ball plenty. And kind of similar to the Bucks wideouts that I just mentioned, he's got attractive stacking options. There's DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault. I mean, you can spend two picks anywhere in the round 6 to round 10 range and come away with Trevor Lawrence and either of those wideouts and I think really only get upside from where you're taking them.
1: I agree. Um, I think that maybe right now, the only concern I would have with Lawrence is this is one of the first times, really, in a while that we've seen a rookie quarterback go as high as he's being taken right now in drafts. And it's not just him. I think Justin Fields is the other one where they're both kind of going inside the top 100, I believe. And that is, um, I mean, th- that's high. Um, I, I just had an article come out on Rotoviz. Uh, the other day where I looked at the win rates of rookie quarterbacks since 2017 and kind of trying to find a way that we can get an edge taking a rookie quarterback as a third quarterback rather than maybe getting a quarterback in that 12 round range because the suggestion is is that you know by round 12 if you have three quarterbacks you boost your win rate but sometimes you don't have a guy you like there maybe you lose a guy who you thought you're going to take and now maybe you're trying to pivot rookie quarterbacks can kind of be that pivot there's um, I think it was Nine out of 12, it was, it was 66.7% of the rookie quarterbacks since 2017 who starred 10 or more games had an above average win rate. And those guys are mostly going in like the 200s. So that's not going to be Trevor Lawrence, but that could be You know, that could be Mac Jones, that could be Trey Lance, where you're gambling on those guys. So I do like Lawrence, the stack, the ability to stack him with Chark and Chenault is great. Um, And maybe even Marvin Jones, too. We didn't even talk about him, but Marvin Jones could be another great stack option as well. So I do love Lawrence there. His price does concern me, but I've I've drafted him as well. And I'm with you as far as the logic goes. I I don't hate it, but I will be curious to see if, if we end up overvaluing him by the time the season rolls around.
0: Well, and even if you want to avoid the young pretty one, you can go for the old guy Matt Ryan in the same range, going even a little bit later and and really, the bet, I think for a long time has been pass on Ryan when he's in the top ten, buy on him when he's low right now he's qB sixteen and adp and Julio Jones is sitting on the board until round four. so even in a three wide receiver format like BB ten. so Matt Ryan, Julio Jones is probably more attractive to me right now than it should be. I'm either going to get to December and be like, "Oh yeah, it was Julio Jones season, and I'm partying now," or I'm going to be like, "You guys remember Julio Jones?"
1: Yeah. Well, what we'll be talking about is Julio Jones being healthy for 16 games and and scoring his final touch, final only touchdown of the season in Week 17 when the playoffs have passed. So that that could also be the other concern, but hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully he's healthy and he's fine in the end zone because I I mean Julio in the fourth round. When are you going to find that again?
0: So at quarterback, we talk about the guys we like. Is there anybody that you're avoiding? You're not too high on Trevor Lawrence, but is there anybody that's just kind of like you're not even close to drafting either, just because you don't like him or because they're just going at the wrong spot for you?
1: So it's funny you bring up Matt Ryan because I wrote him down, and it's not even because I don't like him. It's just because there's some rumors that that the Falcons could take a quarterback, and I like him at his price tag right now, but I question whether or not it could maybe get a little bit lower if they do decide to take a rookie. And I'm kind of just waiting on him there. There, There's other quarterbacks who I'll take right now over Matt Ryan kind of in those similar spots, just because I think that maybe if they did opt to go with a young quarterback that his ADP is probably going to dip a little bit more. But, I mean, generally speaking, like Deshaun Watson was kind of the obvious answer. Like, I'm not drafting Deshaun Watson right now. We don't need to get into all that. If, If you pay attention to the league, you know what's going on there. But kind of right now, I think all the values are pretty appropriate. I'm probably staying away from Ben Roethlisberger just because I'm not even sure I'm convinced that he's going to be healthy um, for the full season. He's, he's not young at this point in time. I'm, I'm not going to be drafting Ben, but there's not any guy who I really would say I feel strongly about. Like I, I definitely can't take him. I probably won't, but at the right price and on the right build, maybe I do.
0: I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is ever healthy at this point.
1: I, I think he's just going to be kind of, you know,
0: a, a little bit off hundred percent for the rest of his life.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see how much longer he's got. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm not particularly strong on any, any quarterback who I'm like against taking.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think Joe Burrow is just the one for me that I don't want any piece of right now. QB 14 ahead of Trevor Lawrence. I, I don't see a whole lot of difference between him and Trevor Lawrence, you know, straight up and upside and Joe Burrow's got, He's coming off a double knee ligament tear, so QB fourteen doing that. He's coming off a bad debut season in terms of deep passing. So it's like you can even look at what he did last year, and it's like he was okay. I'm not excited about what happened already. So when you put him in that range with other guys that are much easier to feel good about, you know, guys we've already mentioned, it, along with Kirk Cousins, even Carson Wentz. I'd rather be off Joe Burrow now. We'll see how he is in August. And I can maybe hedge on that a little bit by taking Tyler Boyd or even adding a couple shares of T. Higgins at his high price.
1: Yeah. And Burrow's ADP could even continue to fall. We really haven't gotten a lot back on his injury even right now. They've kind of been hush-hush on that. If something happens where they're not even sure he's going to start the season, maybe he even drips down a little, little bit further into like that QB 15, 16, 17 range. It, be hard to imagine falling that far but again if you can get him at a value at any point in the draft and you like his wide receivers which I do you know Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins but I, I'm with you on Burrow as far as you, you just kind of don't know and there was definitely room for growth in some areas.
0: Now you mentioned your article on win rates for rookie quarterbacks so mm-hmm. uh, you care to tell us any more about what you found in terms of what we should be trying to do with rookie quarterbacks?
1: the thing that i think i really found just with that was that talking about grabbing your final your third quarterback in the 12th round that that's pick 144 overall essentially but the average adp for rookie quarterbacks since 2017 was something like 239th overall so like you're really getting cor- rookie quarterbacks on the cheap and obviously part of you know finding a a bargain in, in fantasy in any draft at any position is kind of getting that guy who you think you could see a path to success for at a low cost, which is why I even broke it down to as far as 10 games goes, because obviously drafting a rookie quarterback doesn't do you any good if you're not playing games. Patrick Mahomes is not worth drafting in best ball drafts. Surprisingly, his rookie year, he played in one game and that was in week 17 when the season was over for us fantasy players. But one of the things that I did find that just kind of, I think at least to me, it showed what getting a rookie quarterback out of value can do because you're benefiting off the high weeks and the low weeks aren't hurting you because while everyone else may be drafting other quarterbacks or other positions, you were as well, and you weren't taking that quarterback. The Sean Kaiser in 2017 was, for lack of a better word, probably an absolute train wreck as a rookie quarterback. He completed 54% of his passes. He threw for under 3,000 yards in 15 games, which in today's NFL just seems like that's almost more hard to do than throwing for 4,000 yards. Um, he threw 22 touchdowns to just 11 interceptions. He rushed for 419 yards and had five touchdowns as well. Despite Being the quarterback 35 with 15 points per game, he still managed five QB one weeks and he had an above average win rate of 8.9%, which was near the top for rookies. It wasn't number one. It was number eight. So over rookie quarterback since twenty seventeen, Deshaun Kaiser, despite his disastrous rookie season for real life football, had the eighth best win rate among rookie quarterbacks over that span simply because you could get him on the cheap. He was two hundred and fifty-third overall that year, and he was you were benefiting from his high weeks, and his low weeks didn't really hurt you because you had other guys playing over him. Daniel Jones was the other one. He had the second highest win rate. He was going two hundred and seventy-eighth overall his rookie year at ten point five percent. So Really with the rookies, what I just kind of liked finding was if you do decide to get those later round guys after pick 200, that's when you can really start to see that you are just, I mean, at that point in time, you're talking yourself into whether or not you can see them playing. Can you see Trey Lance playing for whatever team he he's being drafted by? Maybe not right away, but you know, if at some point in time he's getting in over a guy like Drew Locke, you might be looking at 10 games for Trey Lance at an ADP that's probably not going to get much higher than the top 200. Um, so finding rookie quarterbacks where you can see a path to success, both in terms of playing games and just them being even half decent on the field is definitely, I think, a good way to get a little edge from what I found in looking that up the other day. And I would just say, do it with the right process. You're not you're not drafting them as even your QB two. Like you should definitely have your top two quarterbacks solidified, but if you want to kind of pivot to a third quarterback and make it that later pick, there's an advantage to be had, I think. Um, obviously nothing's perfect, but if if you told me 66% of the time a quarterback's going to have an above average win rate if you take him at that round, I'll probably do it more often than not.
0: Right. Right. You don't hear that rookie quarterbacks have these good win rates from the past and then count Trevor Lawrence in that category because you're mm-hmm. drafting him high in QB2 territory. He doesn't fit. Obviously, every year, drafters on whole get sharper. You know, it gets tougher to, you know, beat everybody on something. I do think that Justin Fields, even if maybe he's not going quite as late as the previous sample group, I think he's going late enough right now to fit. I think he's a key guy that you should be targeting right now because he's not going super early among quarterbacks because nobody's sure where he's going to go. And especially like just today, the betting markets have switched back from Mac Jones to Justin Fields as a likely guy to go third. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Justin Fields start to go a little earlier in fantasy drafts right away because of that, because if he lands with the 49ers, I mean, He's going to have a high ceiling this year.
1: Yeah, he will. You're absolutely right on that. I think when I think of Justin Fields, I think kind of back to a guy like Lamar Jackson and his first full season as a starter. A lot of people doubted him, and I believe he had like an eighth or ninth round ADP. So even though they knew Lamar was going to be a starter, even though they saw the rushing upside, apparently. The fact that he can't throw the ball well enough, you know, people were, people were afraid to take him much higher than they did. And he turned in one of the best win rates we've seen in years because of where people were taking him, how much of a difference maker he was. Justin Fields is going far later than Lamar Jackson was in his first season as a starter. And everyone knows, at least we think that Justin Fields is probably the next great Konami code quarterback, not to diss Jalen Hurts. I like him too, but I think Justin Fields might be a little bit better than that. And if he falls with the right team, we're going to see that. So Justin Fields, I think, is like, I mean, everyone abuses the term league winner. But Justin Fields has a shot to be a best ball league winner. You're you're not going to take him any earlier than your QB. I mean, you're not going to take him as your QB one, probably. You're probably not going to take him as your QB two. Justin Fields is your QB three at 132nd overall. You're probably cooking with something. That's a nice 11th round ADP for a rookie who could have a lot of upside if he ends up playing. So I think that he is a very solid pick.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody knows how valuable Russian quarterbacks can be at this point. So if you can find a guy that's not going in the range where you're relying on him, then, you know, that's how you can get that, that kind of league winning upside. So we saw, you know, Cam Newton was a top five quarterback right away. Dak Prescott was a fourth round pick and then fourth round pick NFL draft. It's not hard to find Justin Fields' path to fantasy success. It, Over to running back, I, I know as a Rotovis guy, I'm sure that you're not the hungriest selector of running backs early in the draft. So how do you generally go about building your, your running back core?
1: I mean, it's a 28 round draft. I get my first running back in round 22. No, um, you usually it, for me, it kind of depends. I actually had a conversation with someone on zero RB the other day, which is a whole other conversation of itself. So we're Mm -hmm. not going to get too deep into that, but, I like to take a zero RB approach sometimes. And I think FFPC drafts makes it easier because of the tight end premium scoring. I mean, I love that. I've loved getting George Kittle in the first round, Darren Waller in the second round. I've even started a few drafts with tight end, tight end back to back, which is actually an article that I, my last article on Rotoball where I talked about that being one of the higher win rates that you can get in FFPC drafts is starting with two tight ends um, right out the gate, first first two rounds. So depending on where I'm drafting is kind of how I determine where I might start trying to tackle. Because I don't want to be so desperate at running back that I'm trying to secure a guy who I might not necessarily believe is going to be a top 12 Guy and, and I'm fine with chasing a lot of different guys later. I have a few guys here I'll get into. So usually if I'm picking like in the back half of the first round, maybe like seventh or eighth round, that's probably where I'm looking more for like George Kittle, maybe Darren Waller, depending on who's there, or I'm going with one of the elite wide receivers. Um, I got no problem going with something like Devontae Adams and Stefan Diggs to start a draft, Tyreek Hill, any of those guys. And I love the tight end, tight end start, too. So if I if I think I can even GM that in there, I absolutely will. Tight end was a huge difference maker in FFPC drafts this past year. I, I think there was like 11 tight ends were in the top one. Was it top 150, top one, top 50, something like that. I have to look it up. I pulled it up at one point in time. But they're, they're a big difference maker. It's a good edge, mm-hmm. and it makes going zero RB, I think, a little bit easier
0: even in other formats besides FFPC too. I mean, there's, there's so much mm-hmm. running back hunger still, especially in best ball drafts. I was doing an underdog draft that's ongoing now, but the first nine picks in that draft were all running backs. And we're talking about, you know, half PPR start three receivers format. So it's not like it's particularly running back heavy. I was surprised. I was sitting at 10 and I had to choose between Devonte Adams Tyreek kill Travis Kelsey it was too much I was like can I please get an extra pick here because these guys are gifting me too many things I don't know which box to open
1: first yeah I mean that's and you you kind of hit the nail on the head people go crazy with running backs sometimes I think maybe you get stuck in a draft with people who are just out to prove zero RB wrong so they just go out there and they hammer running backs to the point where you just you're shaking your head at, at some of what they're doing which is why I'm kind of fine just getting getting the value where I think they're there exists some at running at wide receiver and tight end and going running backs a little bit later. There's an advantage to be had wide receivers definitely have been the more productive position over the years. So to to know that I'm walking out with, you know, a couple top guys out of the first 3 or 4 rounds, I I like that and I I'm pretty confident in the running backs we have later that can that can produce when called upon.
0: Yeah, and I would say even if you're not a zero RB guy or you don't want to wait too long If you are sitting there and you're saying, I don't really want to take this guy yet. I don't want to take Cam Akers ninth in the first round, but he's the next guy. That's, I think, when you're really making the wrong pick. Don't force it because you feel like you're going to miss out. That's when you go to another position and say, I'm not going to take the next guy there. I'm going to take the best guy here and I'll make up for that elsewhere. So with all that in mind, who are your favorite targets and values overall at running back?
1: So my favorite one right now is Jeff Wilson and I and I hope I'm right on that um obviously, because I've been drafting him, but but also just because I, I think that his value is really jumping out to me right now. Um, he's going as the RB30 in FFPC drafts. He averaged over 13.3 PPR per games last season. He rushed for over 600 yards and seven touchdowns while adding another three touchdowns on uh, through the air. And then even in the championship week, he had over 27 PPR points in the championship week. So he, he definitely went on a high note for fantasy drafters, the one thing that really stood out to me with Jeff Wilson is if you remember last year in the offseason, there was kind of some questions about what Raheem Mostert's status was going to be with the team. There was like these contract negotiations. He's kind of an older running back. Yeah, he had a great season or whatever. They were kind of hesitant to give him even a little bit of a contract that that he wanted um, after the season. The interesting thing with Jeff Wilson is Jeff Wilson was scheduled to be a restricted free agent. So obviously, any offer that's going to be made to him, they, they can counter with and retain him. But rather than even let him test the restricted free agent market, the 49ers went out and signed Jeff Wilson before the Super Bowl had even ended. And I think that that kind of speaks a little bit to maybe how they view him and how they value him going forward. You know, So they were hesitant with Mostert. For Jeff Wilson, they went right out there and, and got it done. They kept him in-house. And Mostert, I think, is 20 or 29 this year. He was banged up last season. I'm very high on Wilson and he's cheaper than most right now in draft. So I am a sucker for him. I'm I'm not going to lie. I I love the way he runs. I love the way he plays. I love the way he produced last year. I'm very much into Jeff Wilson.
0: I don't want you to break into the Jonas Brothers song about him. But uh, yeah, I I think that the (laughs) ball format was basically made so that you could feel comfortable drafting 49ers running backs. Because Mm -hmm. one thing that we know about Kyle Shanahan's backfield is it's not going to be one dominant guy all season, but it's going to be everybody. Everybody's going to score points and that kind of lack of certainty always makes these guys go later than really they probably should, especially just for their spike week value. I agree that Jeff Wilson going later than Raheem Mostert, you know, makes him the better value. I think that they're going in a range too, where you can stack them with back-to-back picks round seven, round eight. For example, you can get Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And especially if you started your draft with, you know, one or zero running backs through the first six rounds. All of a sudden, you've got some nice value there.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I'm not sure that I've done any Wilson Mostert stacks, but I've seen them online. I've seen people posting them, and and they're intriguing. I mean, you know, assuming that Mostert's healthy, there's no doubt that he's explosive. If you're getting the the chunk of those points, whether it's from one or the other and then you you hope that the offense is going to be a little bit better with whatever quarterback they take. If Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't start the whole season, you could be really holding some nice value at the running back position by making those two picks stacked or individually. I'm not necessarily out on Mostert. I just am going Wilson over him. Mm-hmm. But, I I mean, the stack for those two could be very, very good as well.
0: Yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, there's not a wrong way to go between them because Mostert, Mostert certainly is still there. I mean, they let Tevin Coleman go. Jerick McKinnon's kind of disappearing. So I think there's there's room for both of those guys. And we'll see like how they work together. Because even when Raheem Mostert was on the field last year, he was dealing with injuries. He left a couple games early. So both of those guys, I, th- I like where they're going right now. And I, I like getting shares of both of them. Uh, Kareem Hunt has been somebody that, I, I don't know, I, I don't go into a draft thinking I'm going to make sure to get Kareem Hunt. But a lot of times so far, I get to the fifth round and I might only have one running back to that point. And especially in that case, I'm like, well, Kareem Hunt has that. Not only is he getting touches right away, but he has the the path to more if Nick Chubb gets hurt. And I don't need Nick Chubb to get hurt for him to produce. So that's been somebody that I gravitate to almost by accident. But I think the the value package for him is fairly obvious. Kenneth Gainwell, and we'll talk about rookies in a minute. Kenneth Gainwell mm-hmm. has been a rookie that I've been drafting from early on, and he hasn't really moved. And there are some who are skeptical of him, but early 10th round in the FFPC, late 9th round in best ball 10s in ADP, I just think that's a, a fairly easy bet to make on somebody who brings receiving pedigree, comes from a college that, you know, for what it's worth, has produced some good running backs lately, and also ran the ball ahead of, Antonio Gibson and Patrick Taylor the last time we did see him on the field at Memphis.
1: I'm not going to pretend to be a giant rookie guy. I'm just not quite there yet, um, so I, I don't want to try to masquerade as something that I'm not. Uh, I have heard, I've have heard a lot of takes on Kenneth Gainwell. If I'm speaking just purely from the rookie running back standpoint, I will say that last year I think kind of showed that right now is a time to really get your values where you can, because before you know it, a player who you might like is going to become massively overpriced um, if if he goes to the the right team wrong maybe the wrong team for how we like their ADP but the right team for a good offense last year obviously it was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who no one was nearly as high on as they were before he went to the Chiefs it was Jonathan Taylor in no particular order some mixture of Jonathan Taylor, K-Makers, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift and then Hilaire was that you know that fifth guy and after the draft he jumped all of them Um, so I do think that when I do view running backs even though I'm not as like I said. I'm not as familiar with the rookies yet. I need to be more familiar with them. But um, but even when I see those names pop up, I know the guys who people are liking. You know, Etienne, Najee Harris. If I do see them fall to me in a draft, and I like the round, I think that you know we're we're a few weeks away from watching them go from being values to possibly over over drafted or going too high. So. I think last year, if the lesson learned for rookie running backs, for me at least, was get your guys if you do like them right now, because you might not be getting those values in two more weeks.
0: Yeah, and Um, it's an overall best ball point, too. I mean, now mm -hmm. is a, a good time to be drafting because if there are guys you like and you think that they're going to do something, maybe, you know, you think that they're going to start. Generating buzz in the summer, draft them now before they have the chance to climb. Because there's going to come a time where they get too expensive, and you have to decide whether you can chase them. If you're already sitting there with, you know, ten shares of the guy at this stage, then you don't have to worry about it so much when his price gets higher, and you can just kind of let other people take him. At this point, the the other side of that rookie question for me is Zach Moss, another guy I like in that range, um, going right in the same range as Kenneth Gainwell. Both of those guys just outside the top thirty six of the position, so. I'm not going crazy to get either Gainwell or Moss because I don't know what's going to happen to either of their situations going forward. Zach Moss, if the Bills draft a running back in the first two rounds, he's going to take a hit. And, you know, I'm not going to be excited about the shares I have, but he's still low risk in like round 10 of most drafts. If they don't take a running back in the first three rounds, Zach Moss could wind up as the lead back on one of the league's top offenses this year.
1: Yeah, he could. I've been weary of Bills running backs, but I mean, he absolutely could. I think for me, the concern with Bills running backs is maybe less about their ability to produce and more just about the high rate of passing that we saw from the Bills last season and whether or not that's going to continue. But I do like Zach Moss. I think he's kind of that perfect zero RB. Range um of guys. you know if you're going zero RB, he's probably your RB two or your RB three at that point in time. So he he does present a good value. He had a couple of games where you know he saw the targets in the goal line. He kind of started off the season well, and then he just got injured. I mean, and, and what was a weird season? You almost even have to wonder how much more is he being used mm-hmm. with a normal training camp, with normal preseason, and staying healthy. How much more is he going to be used? Because they were they weren't really afraid to run him out in week one against the Jets, and I believe he even scored that week.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing too, is we're talking about, there's obviously a risk. If we're talking about round five, round six, Zach Moss, uh, no thanks. But mm-hmm. round 10, you know, if it doesn't work there, he's not killing my team. And if I think that he killed that team, then I was just wrong about that team from the start. Yeah, exactly. Any other favorite running back targets?
1: I have a couple on here real quick. I won't get too heavy into them, but if we're if we're just kind of going from who I'm looking to draft when I'm going 0RB, I like Us Edwards on the Ravens. The Ravens are one of the most run-heavy teams in the league. Um, Mark Ingram's out of the way, even though he didn't do a whole lot last year. You know, every... Every game without a little extra competition is only going to boost your overall stock. I think that the Ravens re-signing Gus Edwards and putting him in that offense is going to make him good for a couple weeks here and there. He had four top twenty-four performances last year, which is kind of not too bad for a running back here taking RB forty-one, which is where he's going right now. I don't know if you wanted to touch on Chase Edmonds, James Conner thing a little bit later on, but I do like Chase Edmonds. You know, he's going as RB twenty-seven, so technically an RB three. I don't think James Conner is going to be too much of competition for him. I could. Maybe see a split, but I think that Edmund still has that receiving upside. And he did have seven top 24 weeks last season as well. And then the other one was Leonard Fournette. He had one of the best postseasons of any running back, actually over the last 21 years, um, which just sounds crazy um, to think about because 21 years is a long time. We've seen a lot of good running backs. But I did look at his PPR production just over on the road of the screener app after the playoffs had come to an end, and no running back had scored more PPR points in the postseason than Leonard Fournette since 2000. Don't think he's just going to come back and be like this guy who like doesn't play You know, out the gate. I I think if he's coming back, he's going to have at least a portion of the role that we saw him have in the postseason, which was pretty good. It's a pretty good postseason run for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. So I think with Chase Edmonds, I knew that they were going to add somebody. I think most people expected them to add somebody. So from that standpoint, adding James Conner is one of the less scary additions that you could make. You know, I don't think it keeps them from drafting somebody. Maybe they do that as well, and maybe that makes it a rougher situation. But I think if you've been drafting Chase Edmonds, then you're happy with how things are right now. And I think that he's a solid value at where he's going. James Conner, I I wish that I had taken a little bit more of him. I wasn't because I just wasn't sure that he was actually going to sign somewhere. I mean, I expected that he would sign, but I I wasn't sure. I could see him being the kind of running back that just kind of disappears. So... You know, it's a, it's a decent landing spot for him, especially because Chase Edmonds was not getting goal line stuff versus Kenyon Drake last year, and James Connors is at least bigger and stronger than Kenyon Drake. Uh, Leonard Fournette, the, the Bucks backfield has scared me as well, and, yeah. and I'm kind of glad that they signed Gio Bernard just so that I can feel a little bit better about not jumping into that one so much, but kind of in the vein of the Niners backfield, I mean, there's going to be points. I think the Bucs will continue to be excellent. I think there Mm -hmm. will still be rushing touchdowns scored. So this is where to take Leonard Fournette, where you're not going to have to decide whether to start him the week where it happens to be, you know, 22 carries for Ronald Jones.
1: Yeah, and then... And I mean, I agree with you. Obviously, you worry about a time sharing and whether or not they're going to try to find a way to actually jam in three or four running backs a week. I think one of those guys is probably going to end up being an, an active, uh, probably Keyshawn Vaughn, unless something <laughs> happens to one of those other running backs or something. No, Bruce Arians
0: says it's going to be a breakout season for a Keyshawn Vaughn.
1: Well, maybe everyone on the Bucks will break out this year. You really just you really just don't have any way of knowing. I mean, I understand Coach Speak is reliable, but yet we somehow just don't seem to trust it quite as much as we, we should. But uh the Bucks backfield is scary, but like you said, and like I'm saying, I'm drafting Leonard Fournette right now. I'm taking him in drafts. I just think that his price tag is too good. And I believe I even saw when I was looking earlier when we were looking back at ADPs, like I think his ADP has dipped a little bit even since the Gio Bernard signing, which Probably. is just almost it's almost kind of hilarious. I mean, yeah, I like Gio Bernard too, but I'm not scared about Leonard Fournette. Like if I was being scared off Leonard Fournette, it was because of the idea that Ronald Jones is still on the team, not because they signed Gio Bernard. No, nobody actually likes Gio Bernard. That's why he grew the mustache to try to curry some favor. Hey, um, I'll, I'll take him.
0: I'll take him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so any big movers before we move on to wide receiver? Any big movers in ADP that you've seen since the start of draft season that have changed your strategy for drafting them? Guys that you used to target, but you don't anymore because they're too expensive or guys that have fallen. So now you're scooping.
1: I mean, my biggest ADP regret is without a doubt, A.J. Dillon. Um, (laughs) If we want to start about what a hilarious season A.J. Dillon season was, and I was very confident in that as far as that goes. I've
0: got the other side of the A.J. Dillon thing, and I I Mm -hmm. haven't been an A.J. Dillon fan, so I didn't get caught up in, in his price inflation. But Aaron Jones, since he signed, has moved up and, you know, it doesn't look like a lot, his movement, but it's significant because of the range where it is, where just a few spots makes a big difference. So in best ball tens, he was the 15th overall player in February, running back 11 on the board in that point in ADP. In April draft so far, 10th overall, now RB8 in best ball 10 drafts. FFPC, he was the 19th player overall, RB12 in February. He's up to RB9. He's now at the 1-2 turn in those drafts. I mean – I'm not out on drafting Aaron Jones because he moved up. I think he's probably in the range now where he should have been to begin with. If we had known that he was coming back to the Packers, I I am kind of sad though, because he was like this round two beacon back in February and early March where, you know, it's in this range of, I don't really want to take Antonio Gibson right there. I don't feel great about DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones. I think he'll stay with the Packers. So I'll go ahead and take a shot on him and cross my fingers.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think really too. If you talk about Aaron Jones's value, I don't think that you can say that he's too he's too high. I I would even maybe argue that your concern if you weren't drafting him was maybe that what if he came back to the Packers and so did Jamal Williams? Like now that now that Jamal Williams is gone, I mean I I have Aaron Jones in a dynasty. I can tell you that the most frustrating thing about having Aaron Jones was never what he did when he was on the field it was the fact that jamal williams was being run out on the field to replace them and aaron jones can do do everything jamal williams can only better and now if it really ends up being the top two backs of aaron jones and aj dillon like aj dillon's not catching those passes that that jamal williams did last year at least we don't think so if you can get aaron jones at the end of the first round beginning of the second round right now like we could potentially be looking at you know, one of the best seasons AJ, Aaron Jones is going to have um, in 2021, with possibly that much more receiving upside existing now that Jamal Williams has uh, has left. I have no problem taking Aaron Jones anywhere right now. If you got him in the second or third round, then congratulations. If you didn't, if you didn't mess up those first two picks, you probably won your league.
0: <laughs> right. And on the other hand, if we do end up seeing AJ Dillon end zone targets in the regular season, we might find Aaron Rodgers just like jumping to jeopardy by the end of October.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He, he might be asking for a career change sooner rather than later. And I did see a couple of the Jeopardy highlights. He was, he was, he was good at it. I don't even know if I can say surprisingly good, but he was pretty good at the highlights that I saw. So he definitely has a career there if he's not happy with the offense.
0: Yeah. So over to wide receiver, how do you tend to build your wide receiver core?
1: Well since I like to go wide receivers a little bit more often I'm definitely kind of just targeting those those big splash playmakers early. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to just come out of the gate if I'm you know if I'm not going to draft tight end early which really if I am going tight end and we'll talk about that more later I'm really trying to target those elite two or three tight ends early yeah. and then maybe I I don't know if I like a guy like Mark Andrews. So if I'm not going tight end early, um, depending on the format, I'll I'll go three or four wide receivers out the gate early. I'll try to get get me some Mike Evans, get me some Calvin Ridley, some Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Michael Thomas, I think it, I know at one point in time he was going like the third round, which just, seemed hysterical i know that he wasn't that great but at one point in time he's going in the third right now 27.3 overall like i'll get michael thomas in the third round i'll get him in the second round if i worry he's not going to make it back to me i like having those elite wide receivers those solid pass catchers if i think that there's a path where they could possibly see more targets because of the talent around them then i'll certainly target those guys maybe a little bit more over others and teams with high pass volume aj brown's you know the next wide receiver in the Titans offense is uh, it, it's Josh Reynolds right now. I, I think A.J. Brown could just be a target hog right now unless they add someone else in the draft. Um, and then Johnny Smith is gone, who didn't do a whole lot for them um, over the course of the full season. He did a little bit at the beginning. But I really like A.J. Brown you know, and his potential target volume. Again, I like Michael Thomas, assuming that Winston's a quarterback there. Um, Terry McLaurin, I could just see him catching one degaff ball f- after another from – from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I love the explosive early guys. So I'm definitely targeting them. And then I'd probably try to round it out with some of like the, uh, the slot wide receiver guys. So those, those guys who are going to just add that nice pad padding to your floor with your high upside receivers that you grabbed early. I think Michael
0: Thomas and AJ Brown are, are like life preservers in that second round. If you're, if you feel like you're about to drown with a second year running back, I uh, reach for Michael Thomas or AJ Brown and uh, you, you're going to be, Fairly safe. You're going to wind up floating, I think, unless somebody gets hurt again in that range. I'm usually going at least two wide receivers among my first four picks as well. Mm-hmm. Most often, some combo running backs to wide receivers in that range, some tight ends. Round four is particularly fruitful at wide receiver, and we'll get to that in a minute. Who are, beyond the guys that you just mentioned, who are some of your favorite? Actually... You know, I, I've got some of those early round um, favorite targets since you did mention a lot of the names that you do like in that range. I, I mm-hmm. love the guys going in round three and four as well. I mentioned Michael Thomas already. Best ball tens where you have to start three as well as underdog drafters are also three wide receiver formats. You still have Keenan Allen going in round three there. You have Allen Robinson going in round three in those formats. Round four, Amari Cooper. Both Buccaneers wideouts are round four guys. Julio Jones, both FFPC and Best Ball Tens drafts. I know you only have to start two wideouts in FFPC, but you also have the two flex spots to fill every week. I mean, all of those guys are proven fantasy week winners. So you can, your league is telling you to get as many of these guys as you want right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I I would say that if you want to make an argument to be anti-0RB, it's exactly what you just laid out. It's that that third and fourth round where you can look at your first two rounds, you can you can take running backs who if, you know, I don't even know if you want to make if you, if you're going for the anti-0RB approach, you might even say, I don't even really care if I like these running backs. I'm going to take them because they're there and I know I can go into the third and fourth round and get some of these guys who all have top 12 potential who could all turn into steals. I think people are more surprised that Julio Jones is going in the fourth round than they would be if I told you at the end of the season he was a top five wide receiver. Might be top five is a little ambitious, but you get what I'm saying that, you know, no one's no one I think is going to be surprised if somehow Julio Jones has one more big season in him and just looks like an absolute smash at his current ADP. So yeah, I mean those those rounds to get wide receivers are just excellent. And I think Really, too, some of those guys also offer you a chance if you want to go back to stacking to stack with their quarterbacks. You're going in some of the rounds that we previously discussed earlier. We we like to take guys. I mean, the idea of you can stack Godwin or Evans with Tom Brady later, like that, that's so cheap. You can do that, and now you have to really think about it because the first three rounds you're taking people elsewhere.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I'm already thinking about that when I see Mike Evans and Chris Godwin creep toward the top of the list. I mean, yep. Chris Godwin—it's like people forgot two years ago. Obviously, I think he's going to be somewhere lower than the number two fantasy wide receiver, but you know, he has a, a season where he's a little bit hurt and doesn't produce quite to that level, and people are like, eh, "I don't see you late in round four. I'm going to be busy picking running backs while you're lingering on the board." I agree that that those two rounds are giving fodder for not going zero RB, but it's also just like it makes it easier to kind of let the draft come to you. I I am fine with, you know, passing on the running back if I don't like it in round one and round two, because Miles Sanders is there in round three and we kind of skipped over his name running back. But that's somebody who I I like to take in round three, knowing that in round four, I'm still probably going to be able to choose among guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's the wide receivers in that range really do just give you a lot of flexibility there and you and you can definitely go on the, you know, some of those early round running backs. I think Mike Miles Sanders is a perfect example of kind of who you can be adding there if you don't want to take one of those running backs or I'm sorry, one of those other wide receivers in one of the earlier rounds for sure. So beyond those early guys, who are some of your favorite wide receiver targets? I've got three here. I'll go with the first one just because I think these was interesting. I pulled him up in an article a couple of weeks ago. The The one that I really like at the time of his article was Deontay Johnson. He has 60.9 ADP. It was wide receiver 22 last year. Right now he is going, he's actually going a little bit lower. 61.7 ADP wide receiver 22 still. So, um, You know, I like Deontay Johnson. I think that one of the things that he's really just kind of caught flack for after last season was the fact that he led the league in drops. (laughs) Um, And I, which just seems, we were talking off camera about being like the diehard fans versus just the guys who enjoy football and how maybe that uh, affects us emotionally when making like decisions or, you know, even how people view us in the content that we're trying to put out. I think, I think fading Deontay Johnson because of drops is probably something that a Steelers fan does. And anyone who's playing fantasy is just like, Not doing because rationally speaking, I really just can't wrap my mind around it. Like at the end of the day, he averaged 14.9 PPR per game. And I had even included in that article, even though I know people hate like the hindsight analysis of like, you know, oh, well, if they didn't have this game, if they didn't have this game, then everyone's the best player, which I understand that it's applicable in certain situations and it's not appropriate to do that. But Deontay Johnson did have two games last season where he basically played like, I think, a combined like 25 snaps in two games. And if you remove those two games, Games because he basically had a, a weird injury early, then his points per game jumps to 17.1% which would have put him inside the top 20 for wide receivers for the season so deontay johnson was highly productive i don't care about the drops all i think about when i see those drops is yes it's annoying but it also means he mm-hmm. was targeted mm-hmm. um and if you look back just over the course of the last few seasons at wide receivers who led the team in drops if i told you you weren't allowed to have them on your fantasy football team you'd probably be annoyed at me like you don't want a primetime brandon marshall like that that's fine like I'll i'll take him if you don't want him that's That's good with me. So Deontay Johnson is one of them. I like him at his price tag. He's going as a as a low-end wide receiver too. Another one is Tyler Boyd. Again, we don't know if Joe Burrow's coming back and that quarterback room is probably a disaster without him, but I like him. And then I like Sterling Shepard. He's going as a wide receiver 65. I think that hopefully Daniel Jones has a bounce-back season from what really can't be much worse than 2020 was for him. Hopefully Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley in that offense open things up a bit. And Sterling Shepard's really been kind of a reliable operator in the slot and maybe a PPR darling who we're not talking about as much as we should because he plays for the Giants and Daniel Jones is his quarterback back
0: right and he kind of profiles like Jamison Crowder in that you don't tend to think of those guys as the high weekly ceiling players but your ceiling can come via an eight catch 85 yard one touchdown game it doesn't have to be you know four catches for 146 and a touchdown I was really high on Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard before Kenny yeah. Galladay's and I do still think that they both make plenty of sense in the 60s when I've drafted since then I get less excited but I tell myself like. Kenny Galladay is not going to have 190 targets. There's still going to be stuff there. I do think that overall it helps Daniel Jones, who I was already kind of looking at as an upside option. QB 22, you know, could be a very late second, could be your third quarterback with upside. We already saw him that he's capable of delivering top five weeks when everything's going as well.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that another thing that you have to kind of keep in mind too with Daniel Jones, in addition to the strong arm, um, he's kind of got a little bit of that Konami code action in him. He's not going to rush for 500 yards probably, but when he needs to take off and go, he's got 80 yards of end zone in front of it to the end zone from him. He's probably going to run at least 75 before he falls flat on his face, but (laughs) that's still seven and a half points. Um, I hope you like that reference. I think that was against the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. I was already uh, thinking <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, so so but he, he can scoot a little bit. So he's got that rushing upside when you want to see it. And I mean, like you said, at that round, uh he's he's kind of that late third round or that late QB three you take. And you can again you can pair him with players who I think are solid uh guys. I don't I don't hate Galladay. I don't I don't dislike Sterling Shepard. I want to like Darius Slayton, I do sometimes worry a little bit. Just if maybe Galladay takes a little bit of not just like the the intermediate routes away from Shepard, but also the deep routes away from Slayton. But I think we could see a lot of three wide receiver sets for the Giants this year, whether they're winning or losing. I, mm-hmm. Either way, I think they could. This could be a fantasy viable offense that maybe we're going to be find out we were sleeping on a little bit too much by the time the season rolls around.
0: Yeah, I, I liked Slayton a lot for the downfield stuff early before free agency. I, I don't, I haven't drafted him since Kenny Galladay. But mm-hmm. you know, we get outside of the top sixty wide receivers, you can make a case for for anyone with upside like that. Some other guys oh, yeah. I like in the later kind of range. James, I did mention Jamison Crowder. It's more crowded there with Corey Davis and with Denzel Mims heading into year two. But you know, maybe they get better quarterback play. They're going to get better coaching because Adam Gase is gone. So Jamison Crowder is a low risk bet based on what he's shown us so far and where you can get him. I like that Jalen Rager is basically wide receiver five price, wide receiver six, maybe depending on how many you drafted to that point. So if he busts again, then no big deal. And then Nicole Hardman in the same range, I was out on him last year because he was going more toward, I want to say it was the early 40s, maybe even climbed a little higher than that. Ultimately, I, I didn't like the upside there. I'm surprised that. He's not getting any of that kind of attention this year. Now that Sammy Watkins is gone, the chiefs have tried to sign replacements, you know, Juju Smith Schuster among them. It hasn't worked out. They haven't brought in a replacement yet. So there should be more opportunity.
1: Yeah. McCall Hardman is interesting. I feel like he caught and, and, you can attest to how good my memory is on this. I feel like he's caught a lot of flack since the Super Bowl. There are just some people talking about how they felt like he was running around the wrong areas of the field. He wasn't making plays when he was targeted and caught upon. And I think people are kind of low on him for that. I, I, I feel like I heard a little bit of talk on that, but... I mean, at the end of the day, he is explosive. I think he was one of the more efficient rookie wide receivers in his first year in terms of a fancy points over expectation, which is the metrics that we use over here at Rotoviz. So there could be a path playing um for him to play and do well. And as ADP, like why not? Like right. you, you shouldn't really be afraid to take Chiefs wide receivers. Like be afraid to take Patriots wide receivers. Be afraid to take Lions wide receivers. Maybe don't be afraid to take a, a guy with wheels who's playing with Patrick Mahomes, so you can get as a wide receiver five, six, seven in your fantasy draft. It's at, this is where the portfolio comes in. Sprinkle some mm-hmm. sprinkle some high upside players in your portfolio a little bit.
0: Right. It, last year he was going in the what's his path to production spot in the in the draft. Now it's like the, why not? If he gives me a couple of big games, then I've won. And if he doesn't, then I should have enough other guys on that roster to, to make up for it. Any noteworthy ADP movers that you've seen at this position that maybe you've changed your mind on? Even if you haven't changed your mind, maybe it could be like Aaron Jones where he moved up, but you're following him up.
1: Yeah. So this one, uh, you actually already touched on this guy just a, a tad bit, and it really stood out to me recently. But I know there's been some really weird rumors going around about Jameson Crowder, like not being a jet or whatever. I don't even know why that matters. I don't know why a guy not being a jet is like a bad thing, but his ADP has fallen. Let's see. It looks like he was going around 140 ish right now. He's being taken like outside of the 225 right now. Like Jameson Crowder has <laughs> plummeted. I, I guess the idea of leaving New York to scare drafters, I don't really know what it is. Like, I can't logically I rap.
0: I think it's just general uncertainty it's like he's good if he gets cut by the Jets then he's not playing for anybody he's not going to score me points instead of being like yeah if the Jets cut him somebody's probably going to sign him and I don't know what situation that's going to be but it's going to be okay probably
1: yeah it's probably going to be okay and if if you're going to let him fall outside the top 25 or top 225 like why am I not taking Jamison Crowder like what what is that ADP? Jameson Crowder right now, he is going as the wide receiver 64 right now. So that's like that's like a wide receiver like 6 right now. Mm-hmm. A wide receiver 6 range. Like he's much better than that. Even if he is playing with the Jets, if he's not playing with the Jets, he's going to go somewhere probably and be successful like we were talking about him as one of the more premier slot-wide receivers. He's going a couple picks after Cole Beasley, who even he should probably be, be higher. Emmanuel Sanders could be a decent player and a decent, a decent add to the Bills. I don't know that Emmanuel Sanders has scared me off of Cole Beasley, who has a couple years established now with Josh Allen and has put up some solid weeks uh, for fantasy purposes. So this is where I'm targeting those like slot guys and those guys who could really add decent floors to you know hopefully your top-wide receivers producing on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Curtis Samuel is somebody that I I know I mentioned to you when we were getting ready for the show. He has climbed in best ball tens. He was early round nine in February, late round seven for April drafting so far in BB tens. Climbed in FFPC as well, not quite as much. Wide receiver 45 to wide receiver 41 on there. He's up 11 spots in overall ADP. I'm not sure I like Curtis Samuel better now after he landed in Washington than I did before. I don't, I don't hate him. I mean, wide receiver 41 is an okay spot for what he's shown he can do. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick is good enough, you know, I, I think there are enough targets there. He could certainly be the number two target in that offense. I do think he could have landed somewhere better. So I, Curtis Samuel, I'm just kind of, eh, if I, I don't. I'm not sure I've drafted him yet. I'm not going to tell somebody that they made a bad pick if they did
1: yeah i I really like Curtis Samuel. I really wanted to see him go somewhere where I could just like give like the hell yeah fist pump like good like good quarterback, good offense, like there's no way this can't fail, and then he went back to a team with the coach who who didn't probably use him as well as he could have with Ron Rivera, I mean, maybe Ron Rivera you know, was trying to find more ways to involve Cam in the offense, which I'm sure he did. And and it's not like Christian McCaffrey is bad. So maybe there's a little bit of a situation change just based on who's on the roster and who your quarterback is now that Ryan Fitzpatrick is doing things. But yeah, I mean, if Curtis Samuel would have gone to that, just a team like the Packers was really who I wanted to see him go. Through. One of those offenses where you were just like the quarterback, the the offensive mind, like they're going to put together something special for him and, and find ways to get him the ball. And I've, I've seen more often than not, uh, Ron Rivera not get him the ball, then get him the ball. But I, I'm staying optimistic. He's going as an early wide receiver for, um, he's obviously explosive. He's still young. There's definitely room for upside to make that pick work out. I mean, it's not bad. It, it could have it been earlier, is what I tell myself. He, <laughs> he could be going earlier, so I'll, I'll take it.
0: Uh, yeah, it's the same coordinator that finished that year with the Panthers where they were running Curtis Samuel as a downfield guy, instead of a shorter range guy, you know, we'll see, maybe that is, maybe that was the right way to deploy him. And they just didn't have a quarterback to get him the balls, Kyle Allen for almost all that stretch. So, you know, maybe they run him deeper here. Maybe it ends up being good for him again. I think that Curtis Samuel is still going at a point where if you like Curtis Samuel and you want to make sure to have Curtis Samuel in case he blows up he's not going too early for that to be the case. He's not necessarily a target for me. And part of that is because I can see the upside waiting behind him, both in the veterans we've already talked about, but also in the rookie class. So let's start with the rookies by how are you approaching the class overall in terms of drafting them?
1: So again, not not the biggest rookie guy. Um, I'll tell you one thing um, right off the top that what scares me the most with rookie wide receivers, and this isn't—it's probably shouldn't even scare me as much as it does—but I don't want to get stuck holding the bag for whoever goes to the Ravens. That scares me, and I worry that it's going to end up happening. And like the second that that first round wide receiver goes to the Ravens, and he's getting three targets a game, and you log on to Twitter and you see Ravens Twitter trying to to act like he sucks and it's like, no, he doesn't suck. This this team just runs the ball fifty-six percent of the time. Like that's what happens. I don't want to get stuck holding on to that guy. Um I've I've talked to Dave Cabe and over at Rotoviz and a lot of these Rotoviz guys are definitely a little bit more immersed into the the rookie wide receiver class and and just the rookies in general than I am. Dave talked to me a little about Jalen Waddell. Um, So he's now kind of a guy who I'm targeting in drafts. Another guy who I've been weirdly getting a lot of, I think an underdog draft, Terrace Marshall from LSU. I I had seen some stuff on Terrace Marshall that I liked, and I've I've seen some people kind of even touting him as maybe being better than where he's probably going to go in the draft, um, just based on the class. So Again, it's not the most intellectual rookie talk. I'm still waiting until kind of the draft happens to really get into that, but I, I I kind of approach rookies more on just the hearsay with what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I, I do a little bit of looking into it. I just committing them to memory right now is definitely not something that I've done much of. So uh, mm-hmm. it. What can you share with me? If if I'm heading into a best ball draft, let's take it that route. What can you share with me on a rookie wide receiver and how should I go about that over these next couple of weeks?
0: Well, first of all, I I had Darren Armani of Fantasy Mojo on here uh, a month or so ago, and he said that he's found that there are good win rates on rookie wide receivers that you're taking, well, rookies in general, that you're taking this time of year. And we talked about it with the running backs. Is they're almost all going later now than they will when they get drafted, so I mean it, we're all concerned about getting the one that goes to the Ravens. But as yeah. long as you do it late enough, you know you should be okay whether that guy helps you or not. I've been passing over Jamar Chase because he's going inside the top thirty wideouts. Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle, just because they're going a, a fair amount earlier than the other rookies. I don't have anything specifically against Jalen Waddle. Where I start looking at him is Rashad Bateman who's wide receiver 49 on FFPC right now. Terrace Marshall is one that I've arrived to a little bit later on, just because I hadn't watched him before. But then I watched him and my colleague Jared did his scouting report on him. And we did our scouting report podcast on him. So I watched him some more there. He's that kind of guy that could like really break out in a couple years And he could be just good enough this year that if he lands in the right spot and gets opportunity, he just kind of happens into a bunch of fantasy points right away. So Mm -hmm. you can get him pretty late in drafts. You're taking a very low risk shot on him. Elijah Moore is another guy who's very late everywhere, and you can just stash at the bottom of a roster, hope that something happens with him. It's along the lines of what you said with the rookie quarterbacks earlier is, you know, you're talking about a wide receiver seven, wide receiver six even. And what Darren Armani found in his study of FFPC was in those 28 round drafts, it's optimal to have like three or four rookies on your roster. And I think this wide receiver group is where you can do that. You can, you know, you're taking probably eight wideouts or so, make three of those those rookies that could go anywhere from the second half of round one to round three, mix it up if you're doing a bunch of teams so that you kind of get your hands on a bunch of different ones and some of those guys are probably gonna pop and at the very least they're gonna offer some value from where you get them.
1: Okay, good. So you're making me feel better about this. <laughs> um and and the wide receiver I've taken a lot of I pulled it up while you're talking here, um was actually Tillon Wallace. I have a lot mm-hmm. of him. I saw some people talking about him a lot. Um we have one guy over here at Rovis, Sam Wallace who I'm not sure if he likes him for any reason other than just the same last name but yeah, like the it might be more of a, a family thing, but I'm I'm trusting that Sam is is not being biased towards family members and that he's taken because he likes him. So I'm willing I have taken some Till and Wallace. And also just to touch on what you had mentioned earlier, I think if I were to actually try to hammer out what I am doing, it is kind of what you outlined with like getting the guys later. Just because and again, maybe this comes back to the fact that it's just not my strong suit with rookies right now. So I don't want to be caught drafting these guys high. And kind of getting into something that maybe I don't feel educated enough on to be doing Mm -hmm. right now. So it is some of those lower end guys. Elijah Moore, after his pro day, is a guy who I've tried to get a little bit of actually. So you mentioned him as well. I like him. Um, But I would say right now, my rookie approach is probably like cautious, and it's probably cautious because there's just not confidence there. I really kind of worry more about rookies after the draft. So this this weird season of me like drafting dra- doing drafts where there's rookies in there and I like don't quite know who I want to take at a certain ADP. I kind of err on the side of caution and just realize that some guys are probably gonna turn into values just just organically. I was drafting uh Kadarius Toney for no reason other than I I know people are saying he might go in the first round and they hate him. And I might hate him too at the end of the day. But maybe he goes in the first round. People are like force feeding him targets on the right team and that works out. I don't know that that could be very poor logic. And I might not ever be welcome back to the show. So I apologize if that was <laughs> what I, I apologize if that was in nail on the coffin.
0: But he is going, like even Kadarius Tony, who I, you know, I'm not excited about long term, but he's going in that range. As long as you're taking him where you're not risking anything, maybe he lands like McColl Hardman where he doesn't really deliver, but he goes to a team that gives him enough chances that he has a few of those spike weeks. And if you're getting two to three spike weeks from somebody that you took, you know, in round 18 plus, then you're, you're good.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe he's Henry Ruggs, but he's like 10 rounds cheaper than Henry Ruggs was last year or something like that. That's, so that's not bad.
0: At least I know that when we're drafting, if we're drafting together, I can just go ahead and grab Tylen Wallace around before um, you're planning to do so since you're going to be waiting.
1: Is it Tylen Wallace? Did I out myself by calling him Tylan? Yeah. <laughs> see, like I'm gonna to have to go on my Twitter bio. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull Dynasty out of there just because. Uh, we'll just, no, you, keep just you just
0: call it Dynasty, and you can pretend that that's how you pronounce it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, tomato, tomato,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer the Scottish pronunciation. So, yeah. tight ends to wrap things up here. What is your approach to this position? You've talked a lot about uh, getting those top three. Um, I first of all FFPC because it's different from everything else, where it is tight end premium. Um, what's your approach to the position in FFPC best ball drafts?
1: A couple of weeks ago, I did an article on Rotoball just about starting tight end tight end as being one of the highest possible win rates you can get at FFPC leagues um, over the last Four years, I guess, since twenty seventeen, um I think it was just over eleven percent. Like if you just start tight end, tight end in the first two rounds, it's yielded about eleven percent win rate, and that's not even factoring in other things like where you're taking players at optimal positions, like quarterback in like the sixth or seventh compared to like the third or the fourth. But I, I really love starting tight end, tight end out the gate where I can get it. um It usually ends up being more Kittle Waller than it does. Kelsey and another elite tight end, but I do love starting that way. And if I don't, then I'm just kind of like looking to like fade these guys and realize that I'm probably leaving a draft with four tight ends regardless. So now it just kind of becomes more about guys who I like and maybe not necessarily so much like these elite guys. So you don't even have to worry about whether or not they're gonna turn in a big week or not. You just draft them and forget it. But there's a lot of tight ends who I like. I I, I got a couple of late round guys so we can get into a little bit later on. But if I don't get you know, one of those two elite guys, at least, then I'm probably fading the round until we get the TJ Hawkinson area of the draft, the the Dallas Goddard, the Logan Thomas, even Evan Ingram, which we can talk about him too, because I, I do like Evan Ingram. If I don't land the elite guys, I'm probably just trying to compound value where I think it exists for guys who either have been good or should be good based on this upcoming year if that makes sense like i i don't think evan ingram is a bad football player i think he was maybe a victim of some bad things that happened last season and daniel jones not being the stud he had one touchdown last year like that's that's going to that's going to cap your upside no matter who you are
0: Hey, he had the one rushing touchdown, too, so don't, don't forget
1: that. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. He did. I forgot about that one. Um, I wish he
0: weren't still stuck with Jason Garrett, but yeah, I agree with you on Evan Ingram. So when you're outside of FFPC drafts and tight ends are just normal folk, how does that differ in terms of your approach to the top three? I'm sure you don't start tight end, tight end in those formats, but are you still looking at those elite guys and trying to get one?
1: I will. I'm not as bullish on them, I would say, as I am in FFPC because I mean, that tight and premium scoring, like, I feel like I've missed out on it last year, not doing it last year like I am now with the FFPC. And best ball 10, um, no, if I, I'm i not always necessarily looking to chase one of those top guys. The other thing, too, that I think is worth uh, mentioning here. So if, if you're not the most frequent best ball player, I would say that this is probably a good example for where roster construction matters and you know roster format. FFPC has two flex box plus a tight end. Best ball ten only has one, so you can kind of almost even afford to take elite tight ends earlier um, and maybe double up on them in FFPC because they might and then your flex a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if I'm not taking one of the elite tight ends early, I'm kind of fine with that. I I still feel confident that I can find enough guys late to make it happen Um, in those mid rounds. Again, Logan Thomas is someone who I, I really like, and I know people are kind of mixed on him, but I do like Logan Thomas a lot. Dallas Goddard, I think if I'm if I'm looking at a tight end who I think maybe could be used a little bit more often than not, probably a mobile quarterback who's inexperienced experience is going to be looking for a lot of dump offs to this tight end. So I don't hate Goddard either. And even though Fant, No Fant was a kind of quietly one of the better fantasy tight ends in the league last year, despite being stuck playing with Drew Locke and so dealing with
0: injuries too, even when he was on the field playing through some stuff.
1: Yeah, so he he was reliable, and we have to kind of hope that one that he's healthy, and two that you know his quarterback situation is a little bit better. And if it's another year, Drew Lock, maybe that's maybe that's uh, who's who's going to make Noah fan a thing again for another year.
0: <laughs> yeah, and at least, saw the quarterback with a face that he's going to want to punch when things are going poorly. <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked about some of those favorite targets. I I agree. I'm certainly in on the big three. I'm not as thirsty for the big three tight ends as. I don't know, fantasy drafters are in general at this point, because last mm-hmm. year just d- didn't line up with any previous years so much with there being that big a split between the top of the board and the rest of them. I mean, both Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller were well above what has generally been the case at, that, at those two spots. So, I mean, you know, maybe it happens again. I think it's a better bet that it doesn't happen to quite that degree again. So I'll I'll take those guys and especially where George Kittle and Darren Waller are around two options. They're kind of, you know, a couple more of those. I don't want a running back, so I'll take Darren Waller or George Kittle here. But I like Dallas Goddard as well, and that is kind of the range where I'm more often looking to start TJ Hawkinson, even Dallas Goddard. They both have the potential to be the top overall target for their teams. I mean, each Mm -hmm. of those guys could get 120 targets for their teams. And even if we're talking about a bad Detroit offense, even if we're talking about a a sluggish Eagles offense, I think it'll be better with Jalen hurts this year than it was with Jalen hurts passing last year. But you know, if you get 120 targets, even in a bad offense, then you're going to be doing okay at tight end. I don't have a problem with Mark Andrews where he's going, but Comparing him with Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard, if I can get Hawkinson almost two rounds later in best ball tens, Goddard almost three rounds later, Hawkinson about a round later than Mark Andrews and FFPC. So it's just a matter of of balancing the value between those guys. And and I, I think really similar upside. I would bet on Baltimore being the best offense among those, but there could be, you know, 600 plus pass attempts in Detroit or Philly versus, you know, whatever, 440 in Baltimore.
1: And if we want to even talk about something that I think, you know, sometimes goes ignored game script, no one's expecting the Detroit lions to be good in 2021. So, being force-fed targets in games where you're playing catch up the whole time could be exactly what you need for for TJ Hawkinson to hit like it, it's it's kind of almost like uh, there's no such thing as bad pizza you know what I mean like even the worst pizza is still pretty good pizza so if you're getting all these targets from TJ Hawkinson from a bad quarterback like at the end of the day you're still getting targets and you're probably producing and getting him at that like fourth or fifth round value is, isn't that bad so I have no problem with them in that range
0: yeah, and I mean, I've heard people say, well, Jared Goff didn't really hit his tight ends with the Rams last year. He didn't bring Robert Woods and Cooper Cup with him to this place either. So I, again, I think that we could be looking at the target leader. A guy that is getting looked at more and more is Kyle Pitts. He is mm-hmm. up to fifth among tight ends in FFPC ADP, sitting in the middle around four. And really, in any given draft, you could see him go anywhere. Fantasy Mojo tweeted out a draft where Kyle Pitts went 11th overall in (laughs) round one of of an FFPC draft. I mean, I I think it's nuts. And I also think it's surprising to me that he can be there on FFPC and he's still 10th among tight ends and best ball tens. It kind of shows you, obviously, all tight ends are pushed up in FFPC, but it also just kind of shows you the hunger of trying to find that difference maker I, I don't I don't know if I'm going to end up having a share of Kyle Pitts before the season starts.
1: I'm not sure that I will either. I'm going to pull it up here real quick just because now, now you have me curious as to my ownership. I don't think I, I want to believe in Kyle Pitts. I'm not even necessarily saying that I don't. I, but yeah. the thing is, in any ordinary year, we would probably be talking about how hard it is for rookie tight end to adjust to life in the NFL. And sometimes they tend to break out a little bit later than other position players do. And obviously, i I'm not, like, again, I'm not saying Kyle, Kyle Pitts won't won't struggle or that he will. I'm just saying that that's a lot of talk that we hear, and that's the reason that we tend to fade tight ends who are, are taken in, like, those first three rounds, because even though we know that they're probably good, we've seen enough rookie tight ends struggle early on that we're, we're okay with kind of just going with those veterans who we know are good. It's a onesie position, so you kind of want it to be a little bit more solid than most because you don't want to have to make it be a problem on your, on your roster. And when we talk about Kyle Pitts, I'm just kind of like, yeah, like he could be good, but what if he's not? And now I'm, now I'm caught, you know, stashing this tight end one on my roster who might not be a tight end one this year. I actually had him in one of my earlier articles as being a guy whose ADP I wrote that I could see falling and instead the exact opposites happen. And the reason mm-hmm. I I thought it would fall could be is like, what if he goes to like some silly team? And by silly, I mean like Dallas Goddard to the Eagles with Zach Ertz on the roster type of situation. If that happens, like no one, no one's going to want Kyle Pitts. You hope that doesn't happen. You hope that, you know, he lands on a team that needs a tight end and specifically his services and he undoubtedly will be used. But going this early on him right now, kind of just, it's not for me. Um, I I don't currently have him on my roster. I just took a look at, I don't currently have any Kyle Pitts, whether we'll regret that or not, to be determined.
0: Well, and when we talk about him getting to round four too, even aside from where that puts him among tight ends, now we talked before about the receivers. You're now taking him over Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones. Give me one of those guys and then TJ Hawkinson or Dallas Goddard a couple of rounds later instead. Or, you know, you're taking Kyle Pitts over Mark Andrews. I, I don't know. It's I, I don't see it. even Even if he is every bit as good, as everybody thinks he's going to be, it's just he's to the point where he almost can't quite pay off to the hype in FFPC drafts.
1: Yeah, and I was just going to say, th- like, I think the thing that maybe drafters aren't asking themselves, at least not honestly, is just how good do we need Kyle Pitts to actually be with where we're taking him right now? How how good does he have to be? Like, like you just said, you're taking him over Mike Evans. Like, if if you're taking him there. Then you know, obviously there are two different positions. But Mike Evans could be a top twelve wide receiver. If if Kyle Pitts is any lower than maybe the top five at the tight end position, he's probably not really worth having because usually a tight end, difference between a tight end five and a tight end fifteen is maybe a point two and a half points a game. It's not much the difference between a, a top twelve wide receiver and a top fifteen wide receiver is going to be a lot wider. And I think realizing what we're looking for in, in Kyle Pitts when we are drafting this high needs to kind of be realized if we're going to make that kind of investment on him.
0: Yeah. So shifting away from the early round guys now, who are some favorite late targets, especially in these these FFPC drafts where we're looking for tight end upside?
1: I keep going back to the Buccaneers. Well, so I got Leonard Fournette. I'll draft Tom Brady if you need me to. I, I go Rob Gronkowski as well. You know Rob Gronkowski. He comes out of retirement, and for the first couple weeks of the season, he it, he's almost kind of an afterthought. Like he's really not producing the way people want him to. And then over the last several weeks of the season, he really started to turn it on. He finished with ten point seven PPR per game. Um, in the first five weeks, he only had one game where he eclipsed ten PPRs. Um, and then at the end of the season, in total, he had finished I think with seven wide or seven tight in one weeks. He was thirteenth among tight ends and targets, six in touchdowns, fifth in air yards, and the tight end eight over. Overall and PPR, he's going currently as a tight end twenty three, and the only argument I've really heard for people with not wanting Rob Gronkowski is OJ Howard, who has one not done nearly as much as what we expected when he came out in the league in twenty eighteen. I believe it was twenty eighteen OJ Howard, and also he's coming off of a Achilles injury, which is known to take away your explosiveness, and it's not even the easiest injury to come back from, and. Bronk was out snapping O.J. Howard when O.J. Howard was playing in the limited time that he was playing. So I really just don't see Rob Gronkowski going away. I don't think he's, you know, coming onto the Buccaneers so he can ride the coattails of Tom Brady um, to another Super Bowl When I think he wants to to be on the field. He wants to have his hand in dirt. He wants to be playing. He wants to be out there producing. So I just think Rob Gronkowski is like one of the easiest tight ends to, to grab for me right now late. I'm kind of shocked that he's going outside to the top 20 in FFPC.
0: Yeah, I could understand it early when we didn't know whether he was coming back. But once that was confirmed, it's a it's a pretty easy pick. And O.J. Howard returning, especially if he is limited at all physically, it could even be good for Rob Gronkowski because both of those guys are good blockers. So Mm -hmm. if O.J. Howard's back to take some of the blocking, maybe it frees up Rob Gronkowski for a little bit more route running. There were times last year where he just wasn't getting that many targets in some games. So, you know, maybe that helps a little bit. I think there's a, a lot to like down in that range. I think Eric Ebron is surprising, similar to Rob Gronkowski and how late he's going. He's he was productive last year and mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that they run the ball a bit more in Pittsburgh this year, but it's still going to be a pass leaning offense tight end 24 down. I think there are plenty of options for just like filling out your tight end spots in FFPC. We've got Blake Jarwin, Gerald Everett, Jared cook, Chris Herndon. I mean, all those guys are, are basically free. You, you don't, if they don't do anything, they're not hurting you.
1: Yeah, they're, they're not. Um, I I guess at that point in time, you're worried about taking those guys to make, You maybe want to make sure you have enough good guys at the top that you don't need to rely on those guys. But yeah, I love looking at some of these late round tight ends. Before I came around to the idea of drafting elite tight ends early, I was always looking for like these like late guys to like pad my roster. And then I think I got a little bit too overzealous with it. It didn't always work as well as I wanted it to. But I'm still constantly trying to find those diamonds in the rough. Like you said, 24 down. One guy that stood out to me who I I recently had also put in an article was uh, Dan Arnold. You can add him. He's not going to hurt your roster. He can only help Mm -hmm. at this point in time. He was, I think, 31st amongst tight ends and targets last year. And 13th in total air yards, which I just think is like crazy. Like, those numbers should probably be like the other way around. Like, it's not like Darren Arnold was any kind of massive producer. And then over the last three seasons of all tight ends with 50 or more targets, their last three seasons, Dana Arnold leads all tight ends in air yards per target with, I think it was like 12.3. I think that maybe. They signed him for a reason, and if they don't draft Kyle Pitts in the first round, then maybe Dan Arnold is like that sneaky tight end who you add, who has actually been more efficient than we realized over the last several seasons. And then the last one I'll just quickly touch on is Jacob Hollister, who we've kind of seen be successful at certain at certain times in the in his career. Um, now returning with his old college quarterback Josh Allen in Buffalo. Um, maybe to take over Dawson Knox's spot. So again, these aren't super sexy names. These aren't guys who I'm saying go out and they're gonna they're gonna make you look like a, a genius if you draft them. They're gonna be the tight end one that you're seeking. But if they give you a couple usable weeks, maybe they're they're lifting your team up a little bit higher than you initially expected with some of these other late round tight end guys.
0: Right, and nobody was excited about Logan Thomas this time last year. He was a guy that you stashed late, and he turned into all of a sudden this this target hog. The Bills apparently aren't satisfied with Dawson Knox so far, so I think there's certainly upside to Jacob Hollister. Dan Arnold was a a college wide receiver Mm -hmm. and looked like he was going to break out with the Saints, and then all of a sudden he wasn't a Saint anymore. So I'm I'm very curious to see what happens with him there because Matt Rules college teams did absolutely nothing with tight end. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much of it's Tim, how much of it's Joe Brady in the offense. Cause certainly the, the Tigers at LSU had, you know, Thaddeus Morris awesome. Sullivan. So maybe the tight end does fine. I think that it's certainly worth betting on Dan Arnold for where he's going and for how much they signed him for. It's not a huge amount, but it's a, it's decent money for Dan Arnold. So I, I think he makes, I always look at him. I'm like, yeah, but Carolina did what I expected last year and not use Ian Thomas. But obviously, they signed Dan Arnold for a reason, as you said.
1: Yeah, I hope they did. Uh, I hope it's not for depth. I think like, if he can survive Kyle Pitts, I think it could possibly be a wheels up for a, a Dan Arnold season. I will say, I definitely liked Logan Thomas last year. This is probably this is probably bragging here, but it was in my first ever fantasy article that I wrote. It was about three tight ends who could emerge as as uh, potential stars down the road in fantasy. One of them was Eric Swoop, and that didn't work out. The other one was Darren Waller while he was still in the Ravens at the time. The other and the last one was Logan Thomas. So now when I like see those guys playing now, I'm like, hey, like my first fantasy article wasn't half bad. I probably should have quit after that. But <laughs> but here I am now, like slowly crushing my hit rate. But <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I was very hey, excited for Logan Thomas.
0: It should have been like Barton unplugged and then walked away when the, the console got unplugged.
1: I, I should have just left. I yeah, Mike
0: left. Clay, friend of the show, uh, tweeted out his list of you know, tight ends who could do something late. And, and at the beginning, like before last season, I was like, you left off Logan Thomas. Cause I, I hmm. agree and in the similar vein to, to Dan Arnold. It's not like I said, take Logan Thomas as the 12th tight end off the board. It was like, guys, you don't have to pay anything for him. There's nothing in Washington. And the words from the coaches say that they are excited about what Logan Thomas might be. So, you know, take him late and see what happens. And yeah, that's the range where you look for somebody you know, that, that's not just going to get some targets, but you say, you know, maybe there's this path to something that could be really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think just being even named the starter with, with how hard tight end points are to come by, just being named the starter, realizing you're going to be on an offense. And for Logan Thomas, I think it was, and I, we, I think most of us kind of thought this, but we were probably wrong about it was the idea of even again, goes back to probably not on a good team, going to be trailing a lot, going to have to throw. If he's a starter, he might get something. Now that Defense ended up being pretty good, but they still targeted him a lot and that offense, and it worked out. But, yeah, I liked Logan Thomas. I'm always trying to find that tight end diamond in the rough. I think it's probably one of the easier ones to to look for. Um, maybe you don't always quite get the return that you want with the Logan Thomas or Darren Waller, but even if they're averaging eight points a game, you're probably a genius because he's a top-12 tight end. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: It might not be Logan Thomas, but, you know, maybe you get last year's Dawson Knox. He scores a couple touchdowns for you.
1: Yeah, if they score two touchdowns over this season, they're probably a tight end 12 by the time the season's wrapped up. He is
0: at ZK underscore FFB on Twitter. He's kicking off his new show, Roster Lock, this Saturday night. Zach, tell everybody where they can find your
1: stuff. You can check me out over at RotoViz and also at RotoBaller is where my articles will be uh, getting posted throughout the course of the offseason the uh channel i'll be starting i'm sorry not channel my show i'll be starting roster locked a best ball show um as you mentioned is going to be kicking off this saturday dave cave and visit, be my first guest we're going to be doing a live 35 dollar uh, ffbc classic best ball draft and real quick i'll plug it more on my own show but just because these people are tuning in here real quick i really just kind of want to use it as one way a, a way to connect the best ball community a little bit more maybe even people who haven't played best ball check it out And now Maybe my show sparks an interest in it because they now get a chance to see some of these drafts take place without having to put any skin in the game themselves to do it. Hopefully we seem like we're some cool guys who are fun to talk to and hang out with and and know a thing or two, and uh, we can use that to bring the community together. I'm also looking forward to having on uh, you know, just just guests who also like to do the same thing I do, draft best ball, produce content, talk about that content, all while drafting a team live on air. Hopefully we can get some picks that are spread out a little bit so we can interject some banter in between, but um, I'm really looking forward to starting the show. I hope it's something that people find entertaining and worth tuning into um, every week to check out
0: sounds good man i'm looking forward to it and thanks for joining me on here tonight
1: absolutely i'll have you on my show uh in a couple weeks hopefully here but i appreciate you having me on it's an awesome opportunity you're a really cool guy i appreciate talking with you
0: absolutely glad to do it and i look forward to taking tylen wallace around before you do
1: so hey that's tillin and don't you correct me
0: (laughs) that's gonna do (laughs) it for this episode of the podcast if you're grinding best ball drafts right now or if maybe we just got you pumped up to jump into some, head over to draftsharks.com, get some help. Our 2021 projections are live to help you find some values versus ADP, as well as some players to avoid. The MVP board is live as well, evolving with every pick throughout your draft to help you build your roster. Become a DS insider today so that we can help you win your draft and all year long. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. I am at DS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Zach Krueger and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for something with us.